Hello, and welcome to another episode of Read and React. I'm Ben Ladner, and joining me on the other line is John Sauber. How you doing, man? Uh, doing good. Pretty monumental night uh, in the NBA last night with the debut of of a duo we've been waiting for in a long time, and Ben Simmons in the three-point shot. It was a huge <laughs> night from, from Kawhi and Paul George in that Clippers-Celtics game, which we'll talk about, to what Luka did to the Golden State Warriors, to the Simmons three. Like It was a big night for NBA Twitter. I was at the Hawks-Bucks game, um, and that was exciting for me because it was the first time I've ever seen Giannis in person. And uh, I guess that's a good place to start because I've been kind of fascinated by this Bucks team all season just as far as I had a, a hard time kind of calibrating expectations for them because on paper I thought they got worse going into the season. But I also, and I think you shared this, had this feeling that they still have Giannis, they still have Bud, they still have Middleton. Those are the three kind of central components of what they did last year when they won 60 games. There was something about it where I just trusted them to, to win games in the regular season. And let me tell you, this is a team, seeing them up close, this looks like a team that is ready to win a championship. And I, I think I texted you last night about Giannis. <laughs> I said, I think he's going to be a league average three-point shooter in two years. Like the rotation on his shot, the form on his shot, the, like, the orientation of his body when he shoots, it does look a lot better than it has in recent years. And I think given what we know about Giannis's work ethic, about the way he's improved his game as his career's gone on, I don't think it's out of the question for him to be a league average three-point shooter. And at that point, like, what can you really even do against this guy? Yeah, and uh, obviously the listeners can't see this, but I had just pulled my phone up because I was ready to hold you to account to saying that I'm a little disappointed that you held yourself to account on it because I really wanted to be the one to throw that in your face when you're wrong in two years. Uh, but I see what you're saying about the shot. It's definitely better mechanically than it was. Uh, it still comes out flat. He's still a little bit too tall, and uh, guys at that height are always going to struggle with getting enough air under the ball. Um, so th with the shot coming out flat, it's going to be a little bit more difficult for him. Um, I, I still think there are issues with the lower body. Like there's, you know, it, it's sort of inconsistent. Uh, the, the It's a little bit wrist heavy too right now with his shot, which is not something you want to see out of a guy that big. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, will he be league, league average in two years? I'm going to say no, uh, but I do yeah, think And to he be can... fair, he bricked five threes and airballed a free throw last night. <laughs> yeah. So like it's, there's a, a pretty convincing case that he won't be a good shooter. I, yeah. I'm just saying. It's, it's everything as someone else. Who's bought, yeah. As someone who's bought completely into the Giannis hype, like I'm, <laughs> I'm choosing to be optimistic on this one, realizing that, you know, that's a conscious choice that I'm making rather than, you know, something that's hiding in plain sight. Yeah, you uh, you saw him warm up for ten minutes, and now convinced he's. Gonna I did. Yeah, that was kind of the thought shooter. process. <laughs> I, I saw that text from you last night. And I was like, oh boy, it's like here we go. But I'm surprised it was just that he. Was it was be cool, the and I'll say this too. Like, I mean, you were you were at the Sixers game with me a couple of weeks ago, and and we saw Embiid warm up. We saw Simmons. So I've like, you know, you you when you're in this job, you see NBA stars. You see them warm up. You're you're around them. You're near them pretty consistently. Last night was the first time where I really – I was sitting courtside watching Giannis warm up, and that was the first time that I really felt like, holy crap, like I cannot believe – this is surreal that I'm standing next to this guy. So that was really, really cool. I imagine the same thing will be the case when LeBron comes to town. You know, if Steph were playing, I would probably feel a similar way about that. You know, like you said with Giannis, I mean, if he's going to airball a free throw and brick a bunch of threes, like – it's hard to say right now that he's going to be league average. Do I think that he can get there eventually? Maybe. Uh, but I, I think like 33, 32% is more likely. And honestly, almost just as good. Cause all you have to do is 
force teams to close out on you. Uh, and if he can do that, then, you know, he's going to continue to dominate the way he has so far in his career and the way it looks like he's going to keep doing for the next 10 years. Yeah. And he was super locked in last night. I mean, there was a stretch in the third quarter and that was what decided the game. And it was crazy too. Cause other than that stretch, it never really felt like he was dominating. It never felt like he was the best player on the floor. And then you look up and he has 33 points and 11 rebounds on what was it? 12 of 17 shooting or whatever. Yeah. Um, only misses were threes and free throws. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's insane how dominant this guy is without really even looking like he's trying. Um, so I'm, I've become higher on this Bucks team, even though they, they kind of had to sneak it out against the hapless Hawks. Um, I'm just really, I, I love the way they kind of plug and play some of these wings on their roster with Dante DiVincenzo's played really well lately for them. You know, Sterling Brown, Pat Connaughton, they're guys you can just put into a rotation and feel comfortable at the minutes you're getting from them. I think when Chris Middleton comes back, that's going to be a really nice, you know, kind of slate of depth to have. You could throw Kyle Korver into that too, where they just have a lot of options on the wing coming off the bench. And so if you need to adjust your lineup to get more shooting out there, you can do that. If you want to play a little bit more of a defensive crew, you know, you can put the personnel to do that and, and kind of build it all around Giannis. And, and that's the thing is we talked about this when Middleton went down. I think the fact of having Giannis and such a well-honed system really helps the Bucks here because, you know, as great as Middleton is, and he really helps that team. But like, if you have Giannis, a good system and guys who can step into that system, you're really not even going to miss a beat. Yeah. Uh, I think the same concerns that I had at the beginning of the year still apply with this team. Uh, and that's the playoffs. You know, I think we were both pretty confident they were going to be really good in the regular season. They're built that way with all the depth they have. Uh, I think the issues more arise once they get to the postseason. once it's more on Giannis shoulders and his shoulders alone, uh, especially if Eric Bledsoe is going to turn into the worst player in the league again in the playoffs, which is, was a, was a, a bummer depending on who you were last year. I wasn't all too sad to see it uh, as someone who doesn't like Eric Bledsoe's game all that much. Uh, but he is the you know, weirdest player. Like last night he had yeah. 28 points last night. He like was balling out and three, then six, he just three. makes these baffling decisions. And then he goes back to being a really good starting point guard. And I think in the, the difference in the playoffs is that, that those, you know, kind of lapses, they last a little bit longer and they're a little more prolonged. But even in the regular season, he just has these, these, you know, brief stretches where it's like, what are you doing? Like when he dribbled from out of bounds. Uh, yeah, I think exactly. That was like last that. week. That, that is one of the most amazing basketball plays I've ever seen. The ref handed him the ball when he was out of bounds for him to inbound the pass. And instead, and he, he just, just walked in. Started dribbling. <laughs> last night, last night, like late in the game, the Hawks are pressing, they're making this push. Bledsoe gets fouled. He's at the line shooting two. He misses both free throws. Hawks get the rebound, push it back down. And he goes down and he lightly fouls Trey Young for an and one. And, I'm just, and it was a sixth foul. And I yeah. was just thinking, like, how does this happen? He's a, obviously a good player. It's just so strange sometimes. He'll just do these, these things that you can't really explain. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, but, I, you know, like I said, I, I don't think there's any reason to believe that he's going to show up uh, in the postseason like they want him to. Uh, we saw it last year that he completely faded. Uh, so, for the time being, I, I still don't have faith in this team being a – a real finals contender until they either make an addition or they, they prove that it's not just about going 11 deep here and be honest. Uh, you, you need someone besides him. We learned that uh, in the Eastern Conference Finals last year. It seems like that's going to be the solution this year for every team they face. Yeah, and I think the loss of Brogdon, too, is really going to manifest in the playoffs. Like last year, he was at times their second best player because he could get to the basket, he could penetrate, and he could move the ball and set guys up. And I think, 
I, I agree with you. Like the, the depth really helps you in the regular season. The Spurs have been a great example of this in recent years where they just, they, they win a lot of regular season games because they have depth, because they have a system and then they get to the playoffs and they're still a good team, but it's, you know, you need a little bit more there. You need some more individual punch, but it's possible that Giannis is just so good in the playoffs. And we've seen this with LeBron um, that, you know, it, he's good enough to kind of lift everyone else. And the threshold for how good you need your second guy to be is just a little bit lower because of how good your best player is. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. I just, you know, I, I don't know if there's that level of offensive dominance there with Giannis yet uh, because LeBron is such an incredible creator for others that he he gets those guys open looks. And, and Giannis is a, is a great passer, uh, great at finding open guys, but he's not LeBron from that standpoint. Uh, you're talking about the guy that might have the best vision of all time in LeBron James, uh, can make every single pass. And, and until Giannis gets to that level, I don't think he's going to be able to raise a supporting cast to a championship level. Before we close out on the Bucks, I'll just note that they're second in net rating right now behind the Lakers, fourth in offense and defense. I think the way Philly's played, I might even favor the Bucks in a series right now. Yeah, I, I think more importantly, they're 30th in alternate jerseys with the Cream City look. Uh, just wanted the to Mavs, make that note. I, the Mavs are, are the I worst in the league in that. I don't care. You you put Cream City on a jersey. You get what you deserve, and you are 30th. Uh, but I, I can't imagine. There there cannot possibly be a jersey worse than the Mavs. Ultra. Well, the graffiti one, it's, it's so bad. There's there's no possible way to be worse. At least the Bucks have a good color scheme still. You know, at least the yeah, design. But it like, says, okay. it says Cream City. It does, but (laughs) I don't know what more you want from me. Like if you threw that on the Mavs jersey, it would be the worst jersey of all time. It's it's, it's just like the second worst. Uh, But yeah, I mean, I don't think I'm ready to change my finals prediction just yet. Uh, Just because I think we both anticipated a slow start for the Sixers. Uh, There was going to be a lot of figuring things out. And quite frankly, that team is built better for the playoffs uh, than the Bucks are. now, they, they still need to find some shooting at some point, but I, I do think there's a trade uh, down the line for the Sixers as well. Uh, wouldn't be all that shocked if it were maybe Josh Richardson. I know I'd floated the Victor Oladipo thing, but you know with Brogdon playing so well in Indiana, it doesn't look like they're going to have much reason to move Oladipo. Uh, so you know maybe it's, maybe it's McCollum, maybe it's someone in that vein, but I do think there is a, a move to be made. Uh, how big, who knows, but you know they need to find some shooting uh, to help themselves. Yeah, from the talent perspective, I still think Philly's the best team in the East. But there, I mean, at some point, they're going to have to get it together here. And, you know, I do think that point it's is It's still coming. November. It is, but, uh, you know, we're, we're getting – the further we get into the season, I think the, the more the concern kind of raises, if only marginally, just because you run out of time. But I, I'm with you. I think they will get it together. I don't necessarily see a, a huge move coming. I think, actually, Tobias Harris could be the guy they move. If Wouldn't they be surprised by that either. Make a shake-up. Let's talk about last night's Clippers-Celtics game, which was, for my money, the best game of the year so far. Um, I guess if you really like offense, maybe it wasn't your favorite game because it was a pretty ugly offensive showing. Um, But, man, just the last, like, 10 minutes of that game were just a constant back and forth. Like, I was on the edge of my couch the entire time. And then you add on top of that, it was the first time all season that we've seen Kawhi Leonard and Paul George play together. So pick anywhere with this game. Like, pick anything you want from it. Um, a, a detail, a, a moment, a player, and we can just kind of go from there. Yeah, so there was a moment that I texted you about that uh, I made a joke about it because Montrezl Harrell almost fumbled the pass and almost didn't get the ball to uh, Pat Beverly in the corner as he tried to shuffle his feet and almost traveled. Uh, but there was a, a pick and roll they ran. I, I can't remember if it was late in the fourth quarter or in overtime. I think it was an overtime. I think overtime. it was an overtime. Yeah, and they run a pick and roll on the court for the for the Clippers first off are. 
Pat Beverly, Lou Williams, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Montrez Harrell. One, I love that lineup a lot. I think that's going to be a lineup we see a lot of in the playoffs from that team. Uh, but the but the play is essentially just a pick and roll from the wing w- between Lou Will and Montrez Harrell. Pat Beverly in the far side corner, uh, Paul George, I believe, in the near side corner, and and Kawhi Leonard on the opposite wing. Uh, Harrell sets the screen. Lou Williams makes a perfect pocket pass on the on the hard hedge uh, and, and gets it through to Harrell. Harrell like looks incredibly uncomfortable, like in that exact moment as Jason Tatum's underneath the rim and he's at the foul line, uh, and he looks like he wants it to attack the rim, but sees Pat Beverly in the corner, kicks it out to Beverly. Beverly hits the three, and the reason I think that's important is that is a very, very, very important possession in the game. Uh, the game is not literally on the line, but almost on the line at that point. And you've got Kawhi Leonard and Paul George as complete distractions beyond uh, beyond the arc. And you go to the, honestly, what might be the best pick and roll combo in the league at this point and go to them in that situation. And I think that's sort of the epitome of why I love the team, that team so much, why they're so much fun to watch because they can beat you in so many ways. And last night proved that. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of, what do you do against that group? You know, if you have three shooters and Montrez Harrell rolling down the lane with Lou Williams orchestrating, you got to pick something to give up. And I think actually the Celtics made the right decision. You know, I think Beverly is the guy you leave over, you leave open in that, in that scenario. Um, And it's just, that's, that's kind of the whole thing with the Clippers is they're just good enough and they have enough talent to to beat you that way. Beverly was amazing in this game, by the way, 14 points, 16 rebounds was a career high, seven assists, uh, three steals and two blocks. He was four of seven from three. I mean, that's, this is like the most Patrick Beverly game. Maybe that Patrick Beverly has ever played, um, and it really fit too because this felt like a playoff game. You know, it had that kind of yeah. intensity, the attention to detail, the execution down the stretch um, for both teams on both ends of the floor. And you know, Beverly is is made for those moments. And one of the reasons I, I like this team a lot in the playoffs is because they have a lot of guys who have kind of been through that playoff crucible, uh, and that you trust to really kind of hunker down on both ends of the floor. I think that's that's an important thing to have. Um, Kawhi was not quite as good, and we can talk maybe about the. Paul George, Kawhi Leonard duo here. Kawhi looked a little rusty after missing those three games with the the knee contusion. Paul George kind of came back down to earth after those just ridiculous first few games. Um, but what did you make of the way those two guys played together? And I guess the way that the Clipper offense looked when both of them were on the floor. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Uh, I wanted to see more pick and roll between the two. Uh, but I think you can say that about most combos around the league. Uh, you know, you and I have both opined for more pick and roll from uh, LeBron and AD uh, that we're just not getting enough at getting too much, too many post-ups. So I would like to see a little bit less just trading off with each other. Uh, But like I said, I I mean, it's the first game. What what are you going to really take from it? Uh, There's such a tiny, tiny sample size. Uh, One of them was on the court for most of the game. I I believe all of the game, at least one of those two was on the court. Um, There may have been a, a short stretch where they weren't, but nothing that I had noticed anyways from watching it, you know, once through. Uh, and, and I think that's the right way to handle this too. Um, let those guys sort of get theirs uh, and then have Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell be a sort of asset to, you know, sort of puff them up a bit, I guess, on offense uh, instead of the primary option on the court. So you don't have to go to that pick and roll over and over and over again. Uh, and it allows you to have a little bit more diversity on offense and to not let teams or not telegraph to teams uh, basically exactly what you're going to do on a possession but yeah, I thought it was all in all it was a positive performance, uh, something you want to see, especially, you know, first game against one of the better teams in the league uh, in the Celtics. And 
you get the win and you get a great performance out of a guy in Patrick Beverly who may not be able to do that every night, but and you're right in a playoff atmosphere. He's the kind of guy you want to step up in those situations. Kawhi and Paul George were seven of 21 combined from three. Um, I thought it was encouraging that each of them got up 10 or more threes. Kawhi shot 10, Paul George shot 11. Um, you know, Kawhi's going to shoot better. He's been off to a terrible start from three this season. And I actually think as much as, you know, he, as much as people talked about how good he looked in the first week or two of the season, I think he's actually slowed down quite a bit since then. The passing, you know, he's still averaging about six assists per game, but he only had three last night. I, I think maybe that, that, that could have been an early season kind of flash where he's going to come back down to earth a little bit. And I do think he's improved his vision and his playmaking, but maybe it's not quite at the level we initially thought. Uh, that could make things maybe a little bit trickier as far as the fit between him and George. I actually thought George made a couple of really nice passes late last night. Uh, he set up Beverly for a left corner three off the pick and roll uh, on one possession. In the next possession, he found Montrez Harrell kind of in semi-transition for a layup, and that was a really big sequence in the game. The, the dynamic between the Kawhi and Paul George duo and the Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell duo is going to be really fascinating because I like the idea of closing games with all four on the floor and then either Beverly or Mo Harkless or Landry Shamit or whoever it is as the fifth guy. But I think until the last six, seven minutes of the game, I do like the idea of staggering those two groups and, you know, letting Kawhi and Paul George kind of do their thing. Maybe you give them three, four minutes in each half to play without the other guy, but then kind of leave the second unit to, to Lou and Montrez, because obviously they have a really nice thing going there with that backup group. You want to allow them the space to do what they do well. Otherwise you're not getting the most out of them. And I think, that's going to be something for Doc Rivers to balance, you know, because he's got four guys that are legitimate offensive weapons and not all of them can be the number one guy at the same time. So you kind of have to figure out how those four guys fit together, but it's just the optionality this team has. And I, I mentioned all the candidates to be that fifth guy. You could even take Montrez off the floor, play Mo Harkless at the five, keep Beverly on. You could swap in Shamit for, for Lou Williams at certain points. If you want to have a, a better defensive lineup out there, there's just so many different ways they can go. And I think we saw last night just Leonard and George playing together. That really is the key for unlocking all those different options. Yeah, uh, I think you're, you're totally right about the optionality, and that's what makes this, makes this team so difficult to, to defend for any opponent, really. Uh, it, it's funny, though, that you know as good as Boston is and has been this year, they're sort of the perfect bland matchup for them to, to face as their first like uh, playoff-caliber game and their first you know high-level game they're going to play this year with both these guys on the court because there's – Nothing Boston does that's all that special. They don't have any stars that you really need to hone in on to stop. And I say that with all due respect to Kemba Walker, but, I mean, they put Lou Williams on. on or yeah, he Kemba really, Lou- really struggled last night, too. Yeah, Kemba didn't make uh, the Clippers pay. And I, I think that matters quite a bit with this Boston team. And, you know, it's one of the reasons I'm not as high on them, even though they've started off really hot. And then you saw Kawhi block the shot that could have tied the game to end overtime. Uh, I just think there's – there's a lot of reason to believe in the Clippers. Not Still not a ton to believe in the Celtics. And this is the kind of game, if you're the Clippers, that it's the perfect opponent for you to, uh, to face off with, you know, in the first game with these two guys. Okay, we've got, you know, that under about the first playoff atmosphere game of the regular season. Like, let's rule now. Uh, sort of the perfect confluence of circumstances for them. That logic makes sense to me. You know, it's kind of the, they're not a championship contender, but they're a playoff level team who's going to give you a good challenge. Yep. I'm actually becoming more optimistic on the Celtics by the week. You know, I think, especially in the regular season, like I, I still don't buy them oh, without a, a doubt. Um, but I think what they're doing in the regular season is real. And two important things to note for them last night. Number one, they were without Gordon Hayward, who 
has been arguably their best all-around player this season. And number two, they missed their first 17 three-point attempts, which, you know, if they hit three or four of those even, which is, which is not many, but in the first half, if they hit three or four of those looks, this is a totally different game, and maybe they even win in regulation. So those are, I think those are important things to keep in mind. Jalen Brown, Kemba Walker did not play well last night. Jason Tatum, you know, to his credit, you and I have ragged on him a little bit on this podcast this year, but 12 of 24 from the field for 30 points, you know, didn't get to the line a ton, but none of the Celtics really did. So I just think that was the kind of game it was. He played pretty well, I thought. I thought he had a good defensive game, too. I was impressed with the way he rotated, the way he played an individual defense against some of those Clipper wings. Um, so I'm, I, I, I kind of look at these Celtics the way I look at last season's Bucks, and I don't think they have the upside those Bucks did. But if you remember before the season, we weren't talking about Milwaukee as a possible one seed last year. You know, it was kind of, can they get the four? You know, it's them in Indiana. Like, where do they kind of fall? That's how I felt about this Boston team coming in. I, I thought they were in that four to five range in the East. And if they keep this up, they could be in play for the number one seed. Uh, and, and, you know, again, I don't really buy them as a long-term, you know, deep playoff run type of team. But in the regular season, I just think maybe they do a better job doing things by committee than just about any team in the Eastern Conference. And so I've been impressed with the way they've played. Let's talk about this sort of decisive sequence down the end of the fourth quarter in the last couple of minutes that culminated with the Lou Williams uh, three-pointer. There was a huge Kawhi Leonard dunk right before that. Do you want to talk about the dunk or do you want, do we just want to leave it at? I would, I would like to talk about it as much as Kawhi wanted to talk about well, it. That's what I was, was going to say. There's not really much to say. It was just an awesome <laughs> yeah, play. It was incredible. Daniel Tice. I mean, RIP he did a lot of good things on the basketball court, but he's never going to be seen there again. Yeah, and, and Nate Duncan made this point on on the Dunked On podcast, which is that you've got to meet Kawhi farther out on the floor because he's yeah. just so strong that like most guys, like Tice is a guy who he can use his chest and kind of you know protect the rim by just staying vertical and letting guys bounce off of him. Kawhi's too strong to do that. Like he's just going to go right through you unless you meet him basically outside the lane. And Tice was basically under the rim too. Like he had right. no chance on that. Uh, Leonard, it's funny. Like even. Even those monstrous dunks are so bland. Like the way he he leapt off the ground, like it was very like. <laughs> he hung on the rim a little bit though. Yeah, I was surprised it, at that. But even like it didn't feel like he got that much air. It didn't feel like the, like he was going to be high enough to dunk on. It was like, oh yeah, I guess he did it. It was like, yeah, well, that's Kawhi's career uh, to this point. Just he sort of does these things in the the most bland way possible and uh, at the highest level possible. Coming into that sequence that ended with Lou hitting the three, I thought there were five things that were really notable outside of the shot itself. I mean, obviously the pass from Kawhi, the shot from Lou were all fantastic, but there were a few things leading up to it and immediately following it that I thought were really notable. Number one, Marcus Smart airballed a three just before it. Classic. Kemba Walker tried to, to sort of tip in the miss, but it didn't hit the rim. So it, it should have been a shot clock yep, violation that, and it went say. uncalled. Uh, that I thought was important because obviously it led to the leak out and the three. Tailing into that, Lou Williams contested the smart shot and instead of boxing out you know attacking the shooter he he made a really smart play which was just to leak out and get to the wing and get to the the corner where he shot the ball from and that that gave him enough space to kind of be open when Kawhi threw it to him that was obviously notable uh Boston did not foul Kawhi both teams were in the bonus so you know there's there's obviously the the Kawhi shooting two free throws if you foul him but in hindsight you know you'd rather give that up than than have Lou Williams uh hit that three against you this one wasn't really consequential in any way. I just thought it was interesting. Jalen Brown just forearm shivered Patrick Beverly to the floor as the shot was going up. And then once it went in, Beverly got up and kind of got in his face a little bit 
Uh, and Jalen, you know, there's really nothing you could say. And then immediately following the play, Boston did not call timeout. Instead, they had Jason Tatum bring the ball up. He found Kemba Walker, who tried to drive baseline. Lou Williams stripped the ball from him. It looked like a foul to me, I thought, both on first blush and on the replay. Uh, but Boston had already used its challenge when Daniel Tice was called for a foul uh, for basically blocking Paul George, which I didn't think was a foul. Obviously, Tatum came back, hit the three, sent it to overtime. But you know, you wonder if Lou doesn't get those two free throws, if Lou isn't free for that three, Tatum still hits that shot, then the Celtics win in regulation. To be clear, though, that, that foul that you're referring to uh, on, on the Paul George drive where that, that wasn't called on Tice. I believe that was called on Jalen Brown, who reached up and grabbed his hip or put his hand on, on George's hip, and well, that's there were two. they called I think it. There, were, there were two. There was well, yeah, one they, on the drive, and there was another kind of in, on the fast break that was just George and Tice. And George kind of pushed him off with the forearm, and they called the foul on Tice. Yeah, I, I believe the the uh, the one that was challenged, though, was the one that, that Brown has his hip hand oh, on okay, his hip. As right, at the, yeah. right is the one that goes up. Uh, right. And I still don't agree with it. I think it, you know, before that happened, Paul George pushed off. Uh, but you know, I, it, whatever. We've seen this with challenges and officiating this year that it's not going to matter if it makes sense or not. Uh, I heard. Yeah. St- I think they said on the broadcast last night, like something like thirty-six percent of the challenges have been correct so far. Uh, yep. I don't. I don't know what to make of that number. I just, you know, it's yeah. A- that game also had like fifty-five reviews, which. You know, if you don't like offense, you really had to hate that game. Or if you like offense, I should say, you had to really hate that game. Speaking of the Kawhi answer about the dunk, what that reminded me of was last night I asked DeAndre Hunter um, about the team's pace and, like, why they're playing faster. Or they played faster last year and slower this year. And obviously he was not on the team last year, so I I, <laughs> I asked him. And I said that, too. I was like, obviously, you know, I realized you weren't on the team, but, like, you know, why, why do you think this team's had a, a tougher time, you know, pushing the tempo this year and playing fast? And he just goes, uh, you know, I really couldn't tell you. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> and it's like the fourth time he's done that this year. Uh, I'm sure that's funny. Like three times and every single time he'll, he'll just say, uh, you know, I really couldn't tell you. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, listen, I'll say this. DeAndre Hunter is not the next Kawhi Leonard, but a lot of the similarities that people have noted between the two, I think are valid. And maybe we can talk about this, you know, save this conversation for a different date. But I do think like both in terms of their demeanor and in terms of like specific, very specific elements of their games, I do think there are some similarities, but I, I, we don't necessarily need to go down this tangent at this moment. What we can transition to um, is a notable event, perhaps the most notable event event of the season in Philadelphia last night, which is that Ben Simmons, I mean, I'll just let you go with it. Ben Simmons hit a three. John, speak on behalf of the city of Philly here. How are you feeling? What should we make of this? Oh, I thought we were going to talk about Duncan Robinson going nine of 15 from three. I thought that's what <laughs> We can talk about that was. too. <laughs> no, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I said to you before we went on that I think what's important about this, and I know everybody's going to get up in arms because he shot a three. It's more important that this was clearly designed play for him to get that three off, and he took it. Like, he could have driven to the rim because uh, – I can't remember who was on him. It was one of the power forwards from the Knicks. Uh, so that narrows it down to 11 guys. But, you know, there's there there's an importance to him shooting uh, at all. And I mentioned this with Giannis. Teams just need to have to close out on him or guard him a little tighter uh, and to make it matter. And, you know, the, the shot's still not good. The wrong elbow is tucked in. The wrong elbow is bowed out. And, the uh, you know, it's a little bit flat. And he's sort of his body's contorted the wrong way. But it went in. Uh, and you know it's more about getting him confidence and I think if he's willing to shoot a three 
per game, two threes per game in the playoffs, that makes a world of difference for this team that clearly has spacing issues right now. I will literally never get tired of the Knicks power forward jokes. Oh, I know. I, yeah, I mean, you I, could they're my favorite me, thing to make. <laughs> you, you could make that joke every single day, and I would laugh every time. I, it's, it's gonna, I like your point about the fact that they seem to draw up the play for him because there is a difference between, you know, like getting a shot within the flow of the offense and having kind of the decision as to whether or not to take it versus like, here's what the play is designed to do. We need you to take this shot for the possession to work. And I think like just putting that in a guy's mind makes him a lot more willing to take the shot. And it also conveys a sense of trust. Like, hey, listen, we're going to draw up this play for you because we trust you to make the shot. You might not make this particular shot, but if you take 10 of them, if we run this play 10 times, like we trust you to make one, two, three, however many of it is. And I, I like that sort of gesture from Brett Brown and from the team. And then obviously the willingness of Simmons to take the shot. Yeah. And a couple of things here. First, I like to think we had a lot to do with him making that shot because the aforementioned conversation about Giannis over text, uh, you mentioned him making all those shots. And I said, yeah, and so did Ben Simmons. And then boom, an hour later, he hits a three. So clearly that's all us. Uh, any that's credit true. can be any credit can be sent to us wherever you would like. You guys know the email address. Send send Venmo stuff if you want. We'll we'll take anything and everything. Uh, but the, uh, the the main thing here is that I think the Sixers also didn't make a big deal out about uh, a big deal about him taking that shot, which matters quite a bit too because he doesn't seem like a guy who wants everyone staring at him every time he shoots. Uh, we saw how Joel Embiid reacted when he did it in the preseason. I don't think Ben liked it because. It happened last night. Embiid, no reaction, got back on defense. Uh, Brett Brown, after the game, talked about what impressed him most with Simmons in the game was that he was an incredible passer in the game, as we've seen him do, and he looked uh, more comfortable. And, and Brown talked a lot about how he you know, has improved from that standpoint and how he's starting to act like a point guard more and how that matters quite a bit. And I know it might be a little bit disingenuous, but I think it's important in their understanding how to handle Ben Simmons the person uh, and, and to help improve him as Ben Simmons the player. I do like that the Sixers did not make a big deal out of it, but I also liked that NBA Twitter did make a big deal out of oh, it. Oh, yeah, it was fantastic. The, the Titanic <laughs> the jokes, over top the, of the it. The framing mm. of the, the jokes about the Simmons shooting, like they, it, it's like the Knicks power forwards. It's still funny. Like it, It's just yeah. funny. The, uh, the, the videos, everyone always gets tired of the, uh, the Titanic music over, over big sports moments, but it is so perfect when paired with Mark Zumoff losing his mind that Simmons not only has shot this three, but then it goes in and then the, the music crescendos and like, it's just, oh, it's just so perfect. Uh, but yeah, the, it, it was funny. If you watch the video of it, the crowd is just as loud when he shoots it as it is when yeah. he makes it like, like they didn't care if it went in. I mean, it was obviously they, they had the second big reaction, but the first reaction was just as big as the second. I just think it's so funny that it is a, a huge story. It's like a front page news story that a guy made a three pointer. Like I just, yeah, I think that is so funny. And, and <laughs> it's, it's like, incredible. I can't really help it. I don't know why it's funny, but it is just hilarious to me. Um, and, but the thing, like, I think the best way to prevent that from happening is to shoot more. The more you hit it, the less people are going to start making a big deal out of it. So like it, just keep shooting, make it a normal thing. And then there's nothing for people to gawk at. Let's transition to, Another big story from last night, which was Luka Doncic um, with another 30-point triple-double. He had 22-5-5 in the first quarter against the Golden State Warriors. I think I saw something where he was like the youngest player to post a 30-point triple-double or one of the five youngest players or whatever it was. He's in elite company with, with what he's doing this season. You know, the last 10 games for him have just been insane. Um, and, and listen, I'm not, I'm not one of these people who 
is enamored of triple doubles all the time. And I, I, um, I think triple doubles are vastly overrated in the, in the NBA. I'm more interested in the substance of what Luca is doing and the impact that it's having. And I think the impact is undeniable. Dallas has the number one offense in the league by a wide margin. It's like 115 uh, for Dallas. I can pull up the numbers right here. They have a 115.2 offensive rating. The second closest team is Washington, actually, with a 113.8, which if you had Washington as the second best offense in the league, <laughs> congratulations. I did not see that coming. But it, it's a wide margin by which Dallas has the best offense. And everything runs through Luka. It, it's his show. You know, we talked about the struggles they've had integrating Porzingis. This is almost entirely Luka, and he's, he's clearly having the on-court impact. He's, he's efficient with it. You know, he's shooting the ball well. He can score from all three levels. He's just a ridiculous passer. Um, so there's, there's actual substance behind some of these triple-doubles that he's having. And, you know, last night was just a do- another dominant performance. He probably could have had a 40-point triple-double if the Mavs weren't beating the Warriors by 40 points and he didn't play, you know, down the end of the game. Yeah, I just, you know, he's just so obviously stat hounding. He's trying to put up his numbers. He's getting boards at the expense of bigs, like clearly not letting Porzingis or, or you know, Dwight Powell crash the boards. Powell only gets three rebounds. Uh, just doing the same argument that everyone did against Russ uh, every time he he put up a triple-double. And I get it. Like I was I one like, of those people, I'll admit. Yeah, no, I was no, one I, of those people. Listen, I am too. It just also means I don't give a shit about these triple-doubles either. Yeah, it's like, contextual. Gonna... Like, some triple-doubles are really amazing and super valuable, and some of them are stat-padding. Like, they, there, can be, there can be layers to this. They are all irrelevant. Uh, we put some value in the number 10 for whatever reason. That doesn't actually matter. There's no substantive difference between 9 and 10 other than it's one higher and happens to go to double digits. It, I will go down that tangent if you'd like me to, but it's just stupid. I think that we care so much. I about don't that. think we need to. Yeah, good. I mean, he's still not shooting as well. Listen, I, and I know that I'm raining on everyone's Luca parade, and, and Luca has been fantastic this year, and there's no denying that. He's just he's still not shooting well, uh, and and I think he needs to start shooting better. Uh, you know, I, I believe he's at 33 and a half percent on the year from three, which is not good. And I know he's taking nine a game. That's a huge volume, but you know, part of what guys makes. Uh, offensive guys like that so special is that they can be league average on, you know, 11, 12 threes a game. Uh, And he's not doing that right now. And he's still phenomenal. You know, he's clearly in the MVP discussion, but I, I, there's still a hole in his game that I want to see him improve at. And I understand that it seems like we always see him knocking down threes, but it's, you know, statistically speaking, it's not the case. He's not shooting well enough right now. Uh, And it's the, the hole in his game that I need to see him fill before I, you know, I'm willing to say that this Mavs team is like a, a legitimate threat to do anything. And uh, I think he gets a little bit of a pass uh, for certain reasons on his shooting because he looks like someone who would shoot. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know if I need to go much further into that, into why that happens. Uh, well, he also but, has good form. Like, he, the ball looks like it's going in. I know yeah, what you're saying. I, but I, like, I, I get it. Like, and I totally get it. But sometimes, like, the, like the, it looks like it's going in. They need to go in. Like, they're not no, they going do, in. but, like, 33% is – it's still early and, like – he he has proven that he can be a a good shooter for stretches. Like I know he shot thirty two percent as a rookie, thirty two and a half, whatever it was. He's up to thirty three now, um, but like he has good form. The shot has good rotation. He has range. He takes diff- he takes and makes difficult attempts. Like there is there is reason to believe that he can be a good shooter, other than the fact that he's white. Which I I do agree that he gets a bump because of that. Like that's that's part of what happens in the NBA. And, and like, that's not always accurate, but I think there are reasons beyond that. Also no. 62 and a half percent true shooting. 
Yeah, I, I, I totally get that. Because he's getting the saying. line a ton, and he's, yeah. he's still super efficient. And that's, that's the thing we were talking about with Harden last week, is that, or I guess earlier this week, is that kind of the conventional efficiency, the, you know, the raw percentages, and even the effective field goal percentage is not necessarily there. But when you add in the free throws that, that Harden and Luka and guys like them have figured out, that really boosts the overall efficiency. And Giannis, you could include in this too. He's another guy that gets to the line a ton. And, and that really boosts his overall efficiency. So to me, like when I look at that stuff, true shooting is the first thing I go to. And Luca still grades out as an elite player in that metric. Yeah, and, and I totally get what you're saying. But I think the problem is, yes, the shot looks like it should be falling. Uh, he has good form. He gets good rotation. Uh, there's plenty of touch on it. Uh, the problem is in his, what was he, in three and a half years, he was in uh, Liga ACB for four years, EuroLeague for three uh, he made 181 of 544 threes, and that's 33%. Like, there is a track record, a very legitimate track record, of that's him true. being a, a below-average shooter from deep. Uh, and, and I think, I mean, we criticize so many guys for not being able to shoot well enough, whether it's Russ, whether it's Simmons, whether it's Giannis. We criticize so many guys. Nobody says a word about it with Luka. And I get the high-level passer that he is, but those guys are high level passers too. And Ben Simmons is, I, I mean, we've had this discussion in the past about best young passers. I, I would still argue that Simmons is still on that level. They're, they're equivalent passers. Uh, the problem is Luca gets away with it uh, for, <laughs> for whatever reason it may be. Uh, I think the reason is that he's 20. I, yeah, I really I, do. I, I think well, the fact Simmons that he's doing this at age. Well, so the yeah. difference there is like Simmons lack of shooting is so glaring that it's Absolutely. impossible not to talk about it. Like, so what he's doing is unprecedented. I think that's why you're seeing less criticism of him because it's more, isn't it amazing what this guy can do at this age than it is, you know, this guy should win MVP. And I know there has been MVP talk. And, but I think when you get into that threshold, like once you cross the threshold of good for a 20 year old to MVP candidate, I do think you start to hear a little bit more nitpicking and a little bit more, um, I guess, specificity about how you know, the specific critiques of his game. I, I, I think those do start to come into play. And, and I totally get what you're saying about his age, but I think more important in these sort of discussions is a guy's experience in basketball. Uh, for instance, like we heard people talk forever about how Joel Embiid has only played seven years of basketball, which has been true for apparently the last four years, which makes me laugh, uh, even though I think he's up to like nine or 10 years of played basketball. But Lucas had well, what I'm for- amazed at is that Jason Tatum is doing what he's doing at age 19. <laughs> I mean, it's for the last three years, he's been one of the best 19 year olds in all of basketball. And, and Ben Simmons is going to be a rookie until the end of time. So that's right. I think he could be a real rookie of the year candidate this year. But with Luca, he, he played four seasons professionally overseas. Uh, that's very real experience. And I, I get he's very, he was very, very young. He's 15 years old when he first started doing that. But that experience still matters. Uh, it still has an effect on these things. And I'm not discounting what he's doing in a tw- as a 20 year old because you're right. It is absolutely incredible. What I am saying is, that there is like we need to we need to push pause a little bit because we're getting a little too caught up in the gaudy offensive stats uh and and i made the the joking comparison to what russ was doing but like it's not all that crazy either because neither of them defended well uh you know for different reasons uh luke at least has the big body to defend both were good very good rebounders uh both very good offensive players even though they were never very good shooters or even average shooters uh there are there are enough similarities there that i'm you know, I want to pump the brakes here a little bit. I don't want to start crowning Luca as a top five, top 10 player in the league when like there are some pretty glaring flaws in his game, especially on the defensive end of the court. Yeah. And I think, 
overall, it's probably too early to say he's a top 10 player. But if you're asking me, has he been a top five player this season? I think my answer is yes. You know, he, he leads the league in, if you're into basketball references, advanced numbers, which I get that some people aren't, but he leads the league in box plus minus and value over replacement player. You know, that's, that's not the end all be all, but if, if a guy's number one in both of those, I think that tells you something, um, you know, the, the overall efficiency, like I said, is still there. Even if the three point shooting isn't the passing, the assist percentage, like the amount of offensive load he's carrying is still there. Um, and again, if you get into, if you get into, is he an MVP? I think I'm more willing to start nitpicking some of the shooting and some of the defensive shortcomings. But if it's just, I mean, the other thing too, is this guy is the number one option on the number one offense in the NBA right now. And and that's, I mean, for a guy, his, again, a guy, his age to do that is, is just like, it's, it's never been done before. My question for you is, is do you think he could have done this against ACC competition? I hope you're kidding. I, obviously I'm kidding. <laughs> Listen, man, I wasn't looking at you on camera when that happened. I was looking at his basketball reference page. So in my defense there, but like, <laughs> you know, clearly Luca couldn't have uh, held up against college basketball. He never, he never survived the physicality. Of the yeah. He, just, yeah. <laughs> he, he would have had to play the four and he could never handle the four uh, playing the four in a big 10. It's it's tackle even basketball. at the time, that's one of those that even at the time, we yeah. knew in hindsight, this is going to look stupid. And sure it's, enough, in hindsight, it looks monumentally stupid. It's one of those things where dumb people sound dumb. And, you know, it's... <laughs> you but that's people the smart people sort of said that kind of stuff. And I was just like, well, I was it, baffled by how much... It should make you question how smart they are. But yeah, there's also, you know, with Luca, just to try and get us back on topic a tiny bit here. Uh, we're 14 games into the season. Like, it's 14 games. Right, that's know. what I'm saying. Is Has he been a top five player so far? Yes. Is he a top five or 10 player in the league? Probably no. I think we're going to need to see a little bit more of it. Um, but I, I would actually, I would pose to you right now, I would bet that he would, f- he finishes this season shooting league average or better on three pointers. I'll take that. Let's bet some drinks again. Our right, sounds good. Let, let's up to Annie to five drinks. Five, no, keep it at two. No, three drinks. The usual. We can negotiate this later. No, it's I just want to put it out there that I, I am confident that he will finish the season league average or better as a three-point shooter. Like, I think this is an early season blip. And I get, I, I, I totally understand what you're saying about the history of not being a good three-point shooter. Um, I just trust when a guy shoots it that way and he's got that kind of rotation, he's got that kind of versatility on the shot. It looks fluid. It looks good to me. Like, I just trust those mechanics. It's the same reason I think Trey Young is a better shooter than 32, 33%, whatever he shot as a rookie. Uh, with those guys, I think you just you kind of trust what you see when they're so young and kind of figuring things out at the NBA level. And then once they have everything figured out, then they can kind of circle back and, and those jumpers that they were missing early in their career become a little bit easier and they hit them at a higher rate. Yeah. See, I just think he's, he's primed to be a guy who for a year shoots 33% the next year shoots 37% one year, 33 next year, 37. Like he's just going to bounce back and forth because the form's good enough. We literally saw this with De'Aaron Fox last year. He shot 37% from three total outlier from everything he's done in his career to this point. He's good form. There's no real reason the ball shouldn't be going in more. And this year he's down to 33% again. You know, there's, there's no really good reason for it. Uh, it just sort of happens if you're, you know, not a good shooter, but should be, I guess. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested to see like where Luca goes from here because like, like we've been saying he is really young and I, I think it's, it's likely that he improves. Like he's, he can really only go upward from here the way I see it. And he's starting from a pretty damn high baseline. So I'm pretty excited to see kind of where he takes this just to circle back on a couple of things we've talked about in recent episodes. 
especially our when we did our sustainable or not sustainable episode. Uh, we talked about the Lakers. They're now up to number five in offense and number three in defense. So I think you know the defense was maybe not as good as their number one rating when we first talked about it. I think you and I agreed on that. But the offense has gotten to where we expected it to be coming into the season, and they still lead the league in net rating. Um, so I, I think the Lakers are trending in a pretty good direction right now. We, we talked about whether the East was really this good. As of today on Cleaning the Glasses metric, four of the top five teams in the Eastern Conference in net rating reside in the Eastern Conference. Now the next like three or four are in the West, so depends on where you draw the line there. But that's, that's interesting. Uh, I think Toronto, Boston, Milwaukee, and Miami are the four teams there. And then we've talked about Dallas, number six in net rating. Offense is up to 17th. I think if they're going to continue to have the number one offense – 17th is really all they need to be on that end of the floor on defense. Um, and, and then, you know, like we've said, Luca can do the rest. I think they're going to figure it out with, with Porzingis. That's the other thing too, is, you know, how much better can this offense be if Kristaps Porzingis is fully healthy, engaged peak of his powers, Kristaps Porzingis. Like that's a pretty scary thought, I think for the rest of the league. Yeah. And I think the biggest question there is, are we sure he can be that as a secondary option? Uh, and I don't right. know. And this uh, year too. I mean, this yep. is kind of, in many ways, this is kind of a rehab year for him because he hasn't played in 18 months. Yep, totally agree. John, unless there's anything else you want to cover, uh, I think we've, we've covered some pretty good ground here this afternoon. Tell the people where they can find you, what, they've, what you've been up to recently, and uh, how to keep up with your work. Yeah, so uh, we'll be heading to Columbus tomorrow for the Saturday's Penn State-Ohio State top 10 ranked matchup. Uh, as most of you know, I cover Penn State football, high school sports in the area here in Center County in central Pennsylvania. Uh, can find most of my writing at centerdaily.com. Uh, that's C-E-N-T-R-E, uh, name of the county, not British, I promise. Uh, but, you know, outside of that, you can find me on Twitter at John Sauber. It's S-A-U-B-E-R. I, I post most of my articles there. And uh, basically, Google me and you'll find it soon enough. Was it a British county? Like, is that how it got the name? Was it named by the British, like back in the olden days and just never changed? I couldn't have less of an idea. We'll, we'll figure that out. We'll, we'll, we'll that's, do some that'll investigation. Be that'll be the first 20 minutes of the next podcast. Yeah, yeah. Just a deep dive on the history of Center County, Pennsylvania and why it spells its name so damn weird. Um, <laughs> you can email us at readandreactpodcast at gmail.com. John alluded to it earlier. Uh, if you want to send us praise or gifts for uh, seeing the Simmons three-pointer come to fruition and, and being the impetus for that happening, we welcome that. If you have feedback, concerns, questions, uh, positive, negative, whatever, uh, send it our way with that email address. That's readandreactpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter at bladner underscore. I just wrote about Luca and Chris Porzingis on the Mavericks and, and kind of the state of their offense and where it can go from here. Um, that's something I'm going to be really interested to track for the remaining portion of the season. I just had a big thing on DeAndre Hunter come out today. Actually, it wasn't that big. It was just kind of a regular column on – uh, DeAndre Hunter, his sort of turbulent past week or so, uh, and then obviously 27.11 rebound night against the Bucks on Wednesday, and then just consistent Hawks coverage at si.com slash NBA slash Hawks is where you can find me. John, until next time, I'll talk to you later. Talk to you soon. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. 
Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com.